0: Welcome to Indispensable, where we provide you with evidence-based medication advice so that you can feel empowered about your own health. I'm your host, Anna Barwick, and I'm an experienced clinical pharmacist, academic, and PhD candidate. Join me as we hear from the medication experts, pharmacists. Episode 6, Vaccination, What Your Kids Need. In this episode, we're going to have a chat about what childhood immunizations you can expect from birth right to the through to the age of four. There are other vaccinations that occur in adolescence, so when um, kids are in their teenage years and also as adults, but we'll cover those in some future episodes. So vaccines work against viruses and bacteria to induce an immune response. So basically they recognize and fight and protect any future infections. But after vaccination, it can take 10 to 14 days to actually get this effect. So it's really important to remember that even once you have a child vaccinated, it can take up to two weeks before they are fully protected against this particular disease. Vaccines contain one or more antigens that actually stimulate this immune response and help protect children from a range of infectious diseases that fortunately we don't see very commonly in Australia anymore because of our, our, the great uh, impact that vaccination has had. Even after vaccination, some children can still pick up the disease they've been vaccinated against, but it generally is far milder. Vaccines often contain what we call adjuvants or additional components um, that increase the immune response, uh, including things like aluminium, uh, preservatives, which help to reduce contamination, stabilisers, which increase the shelf life of the vaccinations, emulsifiers or surfactants, uh, and residuals, including some egg proteins. Now, there are a small proportion uh, of the population that insists that some of these additional ingredients that I've just mentioned can actually cause harm, but there's no reliable scientific evidence for these claims. Obviously, we keep monitoring this, this space. Um, as health pro- professionals and scientists, we're keeping an eye out for any new changes in these recommendations or new evidence. But at this stage, there's no evidence that vaccinations cause harm. There is also a very small proportion of children that can't have some vaccinations as they have a genuine allergy. And we call this a contraindication. So we generally won't give children these vaccinations again, unless they are very well monitored. Um, And that's why we want everyone else vaccinated because we get what we call herd immunity. It means that if most of the population is vaccinated, those that can't be vaccinated will still be protected. Vaccines can actually fail in some individuals as well um, that don't produce an adequate immune response. And so it's, it's, again, that herd immunity protects those particular people as well. And the effectiveness of of all the vaccinations actually differ depending on the vaccine. So we're always looking at ways of improving them so that they are as effective as possible. But for example, the influenza vaccination um, effectiveness is around 60%. So that means your risk of contracting the flu has been halved. And... Uh, We're trying to improve that all the time. But especially with the influenza vaccination, basically it's updated every year and it's based on often what the strains of the flu that we see in the Northern Hemisphere. So um, the scientists there make a guess as to what we might see here in Australia. And obviously that's not perfect. And the influenza um, virus can actually adapt in that time and have different strains. So that's sometimes why we see more severe Blue years as well. So, the Therapeutic Goods Administration or the TGA monitor vaccine safety and effectiveness in Australia and they collect information about people that have any uh, what we call adverse effects or side effects. So some really common side effects that you'll often see, particularly in children, but also in adults as well, are things like injection site reactions. So there'll be pain, there'll be redness, there'll be swelling, but usually that's quite mild and will generally resolve within a few days after the the vaccination has occurred. Some patients also um, experience things like a fever, a headache and feeling lethargic or tired. And again, generally this will resolve quite quickly. Um, If you do notice something that is unusual or you haven't seen before, particularly in your child, make sure, sure you let the person know who has vaccinated them because they can actually report that to the TGA or the Therapeutic Goods Administration so that we know what's actually happening in Australia and we can make adjustments if needed. So children are covered under the what's called the National Immunisation Program or the NIP Schedule, and it's basically a series of recommended immunisations that are given at specific, specific times throughout um, each person's life. So as I said before, these immunisations range from birth right through to adulthood, and they can differ slightly depending on the state and territory in which you live. There's at least 14 vaccinations that occur between birth and the age of four. Uh, So that sounds a lot, uh, but that helps to really cover our children and protect them against these um, transmissible diseases. And there are a couple of additional ones for teenagers as well. All vaccines that are listed on the NIP are actually free, which is fantastic. We're very lucky in Australia that we don't have to pay for a lot of these vaccinations. Um, eligibility for the free vaccines is linked directly to having a Medicare card. So Australian residents and some overseas visitors um, can access that as well. So all people that are aged under 20 are actually eligible for free catch-up vaccines. So, you know, if you're um, a teenager and you maybe you didn't have your vaccines um, as a child, you can actually have those caught up uh, for free as well. These vaccines can be accessed in local community clinics, community centres, or at your GP as well. And we're seeing a lot more adult vaccinations that are being accessed in pharmacies or even elsewhere by pharmacists in some states. So some pharmacists can actually vaccinate outside of a pharmacy environment. When you take your children in for vaccination, you'll you'll often go through a series of questions, which we call pre-vaccination screening. And that's just to check what vaccines are actually indicated, if we need to have any precautions. So maybe your child has a high temperature, which may mean we have to readjust when the vaccines are given or if they can be given, or contraindications. So those reasons why we couldn't give a vaccine. Um, We also check that the correct time interval has passed since the last vaccine to make sure that it is the next one um, and the coverage is going to be as effective as possible. You'll also be asked for your consent um, to administer vaccines to your children or those in your care, because we obviously want to make sure that you're informed about what the process is and that you're happy um, to to go through with the, the process of vaccination. The person that's administering the vaccine will be fully trained and will manage any issues if they arise, but again, very, very uncommon to have any issues arise um, during or following vaccination. They'll sterilize and wash their hands before and after administering the vaccines. And you'll actually find that things like gloves, protective eyewear and applying rubbing alcohol onto your child's skin generally isn't necessary for you and your child and also the person administering the vaccines as well. So some tips that I can give you uh, for distracting your child during and after vaccine, and if you've got young children like I have, you'll know that it can be very hard and it often gets harder as they get older and really start to understand that you know they're going to have something that's going to hurt them. Um, So I always think it's really great to explain um, to your child and also for the person who's vaccinating what's going to be involved that yes it will hurt but for a very short time they need to stay very still because this is all about protecting them um, so that they won't get sick in the future. So for a young child or a child that has a good connection with a toy, using a rattle or a noisy toy to distract them during and after the vaccination can help generally you're the person who's vaccinating your child will often ask you to hold your child in a way so that they can't flinch away and cause damage to their arm or leg so generally you'll hold a child in a cuddle position or a straddle position where their arms and legs may go around uh, your middle so that their outer arm and leg can be easily accessed and you can secure them so that they feel safe because that's really important as well we don't want children to feel scared, we want them to know that this is all about making them healthy and keeping them healthy. So generally what will happen, um, we'll go through each of the the vaccinations that occur at different age stages. But generally what will happen when vaccination is occurring, they'll they'll give the most painful immunisation last to reduce the pain response and obviously to make sure we can keep getting the vaccines um, into the child as well. So generally two immunisations will be given in each arm or leg at a time a dry cotton ball and tape will be applied to stem any blood flow and you'll often be asked just to pop a bit of pressure on that injection site to stem any bleeding but again generally the bleeding is very minimal and won't last for very long it's really important not to rub that side as it can actually cause more pain and irritation as it can encourage the fluid from the vaccine to come back out so really important just to hold some pressure on there but don't rub Moving about straight after the injection can actually distract your child as well. So if you've had them in a cuddle position, putting them over your shoulder or standing up and moving about can be enough to kind of distract them from the pain. Um, Perhaps offering them um, breast milk or um, bottle formula or food um, straight after may be helpful as well as a distraction. You'll be asked to stay for observation for around 15 minutes after the vaccinations. And that's just because generally the most severe reactions to immunizations occur in that time frame. So if you're close by medical care, that obviously that's the best outcome. There's also been some controversy about whether to give something like paracetamol before or after vaccines. And generally now we say it's not recommended at all. Um, because there's no evidence that it really helps much. Um, Paracetamol will often be recommended within 30 minutes of the meningococcal B vaccine. And this one can be given from six to eight weeks of age, but you'll often need quite a lot of vaccines to cover. And unfortunately, that isn't covered on the NIP, so it may be a private price. Um, I had this done for my children, and it generally costs about $100 for each vaccine or around that price. So generally, you'll give um, paracetamol just before or straight after the va- that vaccine, um, particularly for children under the age of two because it has a high risk of fever. Um, but for the other um, vaccines, it's generally not recommended. Once the vaccines have been completed, they'll be documented by the person who's given them to your child in the Australian Immunisation Register, also known as AIR. You can actually access these these results. You'll often be given a printout as well, but you can actually access them um, when your children are on your Medicare card by going through the MyGov website. Um, And this is quite good using it for evidence for things like childcare, schooling, and for family assistance payments. There's always updates to the NIP or the National uh, Immunisation Program. Um, and that's all based on whether what, what, what's needed and, and new evidence to see what's going to be the best um, for, for us as well. So the me- most recent changes to the NIP actually occurred last year in April 2019. And this is regularly reviewed and updated based on scientific evidence and cost. It's important to know that there are also some specialist immunisation clinics for children that can't be safely immunised in the community. So they might have really severe anxiety, they might be really fearful of needles, or they might have underlying behavioural disorders, or maybe even have had a previous severe reaction to vaccines. And so you can actually find these in your state as well. So if you go on to your um, local uh children's hospital in your state so that'll be sydney brisbane you know in in the main capital centers you'll often find these specialist clinics which can be really really helpful Another common thing that I get asked in my practice is about influenza vaccination for children. And this can be given from six months of age and it is recommended. I'd absolutely recommend it. And I've had my own children done. So for children under nine years of age, for the first time, they're actually gonna need two um, influenza vaccinations, which seems (laughs) like a lot, but basically they need to have one and then another about four weeks apart. And it maximizes the immune response so that they are protected against Against that seasonal um, influenza or those seasonal influenza strains. So after that though, after those initial two in the year, um, they only need one each year from then on. Again, I get asked a lot about children with egg allergies and we know it's a relatively common allergy in the community, but children can actually still be given the influenza vaccine. So it's actually grown in, in egg. Um, There is precautions there. We want to monitor those children. but There's actually a really, really low risk of anaphylaxis, which is a really severe life-threatening reaction that causes closure um, of the throat and and makes um, it really difficult to breathe and often results in a, a really severe rash as well. So generally with those patients, they'll often be asked to wait for a longer period, so up to 30 minutes, for example. But there's been lots of big studies that have been done that actually show people with egg allergies haven't reacted to the influenza vaccine at all. So it isn't considered a contraindication. So it isn't considered an absolute no, um, but we we will take extra precautions in those, those situations. Essential, knowledgeable, indispensable pharmacist. So I'm gonna go through each of the vaccines that you'll expect. So at birth, our children are given vaccines. Um, We need to consent to that obviously. So first of all, they'll be given a hep B or hepatitis B. So hep B is a virus virus that can affect the liver and it can cause things like abdominal pain and dark urine and it's transmitted through bodily fluids. So children can be born with it if their mother is infected at the time of birth. Um, It can also be um, transmitted via um, other bodily fluids substances. So this is usually given in hospital along with a vitamin K injection, which helps to prevent uh, bleeding uh, disorders in your baby. Then at two months or about six to eight weeks, there are some combination vaccines that are given. Um, So one of the ones that you'll be given is combination of diphtheria, tetanus, uh, another hep B um, booster, polio, Okay, and also one called haemophilus influenza type B. So this is all in one. It sounds like quite a lot. So I'm going to go through them. So diphtheria um, can cause symptoms of sore throat and breathing problems. And if it's not managed well, can cause um, long-term disability and death. Um, Tetanus is a life-threatening bacterial infection that causes severe muscle spasms and can also result um, um, in in a patient passing away as well. So pertussis, which is also known as whooping cough, can cause things like fever and long periods of really severe coughing that often sound like that characteristic whoop um, on, you know, the, your child inhaling. Um, and unfortunately, that has resulted in the death of young children. It's why why um, the pertussis or whooping vaccine is also given in late stage pregnancy to help cover a child as soon as they are born to give them some immunity to that disease um polio um you probably don't hear about it much anymore in australia because we've actually been free from this disease for about 20 years now so I think since about 2000 um, but polio is a really severe disease and we still see it overseas so it causes things like fever and headaches it can cause muscle and nerve damage and paralysis so it's really one we want to avoid and then hemophilist um Influenza type B can cause fever, headache, can also unfortunately lead to deafness, brain damage and death as well. So there is good reason why we're having these vaccines. So that's one combination. There's also the pneumococcal vaccination, um, which again, pneumococcal is a bacterial infection with symptoms like fever and headaches, and it can cause pneumonia and meningitis. So inflammation of the brain and pneumonia, you know, issues with our lungs. We've also got a rotavirus vaccine as well. So this, the rotavirus causes really severe diarrhea and vomiting is still one of the leading causes of death in young infants, particularly overseas. But we're really lucky since this vaccine was introduced, the number of children who actually end up in hospital because of rotavirus has dropped by more than 70%. So it's made a really big difference. Needles given to your child at that stage. And generally they'll always be in the leg thigh area. Um, And that's often a really hard time as a parent because you you feel like you're causing harm to your baby. and they generally will get upset and cry, um, but they, they recover really quickly. And remembering that you know, it takes up to two weeks to get them this cover, but we're covering them really early and preventing them from getting infection. Um, and obviously at this stage, it's also good to have anyone that's around your child um, for any extended period, like grandparents, family, friends, they should be fully immunized as, as well to kind of prevent these infections. At four months of age, <clears throat> We have the same thing as what we had at that six to eight weeks. So there's three shots, all of the same again. At six months, we have that combination injection um, of diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, hep B, polio, and haemophilus influenza type B again. Um, And that helps to, again, it's a booster just to kind of really initiate that immune response and protect our children from those diseases. There are some additional um, vaccines given to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children at this age as well. So often they'll have a booster of that pneumococcal pneumococcal vaccine. At 12 months, our children then start to get some meningococcal vaccinations. So... um, fairly recently in the last kind of few years, we've seen the combination of the meningococcal ACWY vaccine. And that's because they're among the most common meningococcal strains um, that we see. Uh, Meningococcal B is also very common. And I mentioned that before, that's the one that you need to use with paracetamol. Um, It's not covered by the NIP, but I would strongly recommend it for your children because it is one of the ones that causes a lot of damage like um, having to have um, limbs um, amputated and those types of things so it is a really terrible disease and if you can um, consider it and also afford it privately um, I would I would strongly recommend starting that as well. So with meningococcal, you'll generally get things like a rash and a fever. Um, in young children, you'll find that your child gets quite floppy. They'll go off their food, so they won't be drinking or eating as much. They might twitch. They might have a bit of neck stiffness, and so they might be crying if they're trying to move their head. And often a late-stage sign, and what people often know meningococcal for, is a re- like a red and purple rash. It looks like little pinprick spots um, or even like bruise areas. But again, this is a late-stage sign. So look out for those other concerning changes in your child earlier on and take them straight to hospital. A good way to also check for this one is to check using a clear glass and actually pressing it onto uh, the rash. And generally what you'll find is the meningococcal rash will not blanch. So it won't kind of go white and come back. It will actually just stay the same color and actually looking at it through glass, you can see that it's very hard to do otherwise or under your finger. Um, but as I said, that's late stage and you want them straight to hospital in that case but having that meningococcal vaccination at 12 months often gives them the cover that they need to prevent that infection and again we're seeing very low rates in Australia this is all the first also the first time that your children will have what's called a live attenuated or a weakened vaccine and that's the measles mumps rubella rubella vaccine. So basically, it helps to mimic a natural infection. And so this one may be um, the MMR, or the measles, mumps, rubella injection will often be very carefully considered for people that are immunocompromised because it is possible uh, for that vaccine um, to potentially cause an infection in people that are immunocompromised. But again, the person that's vaccinating you, the health professional that's looking after you um, and your children will be monitoring for that. But do let Um, the vaccinator know if that is an issue um, for you individually or for your child but the MMR does really help to protect against these they're really serious infections unfortunately we don't see them very much in Australia anymore but they can cause things like um, deafness they can cause um, you know issues with brain function um, and and ability to to hear and, and speak so it is a really good one to have we also get a pneumococcal um, booster at twelve months as well. Again, so Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders might have an additional vaccine for hepatitis A at this stage because it is more common um, in in those children and in that population. So at eighteen months, um, there'll be another haemophilus influenza type B. Um, injection, another MMR, but also then combined with varicella or chicken pox. Um, So we know that chicken pox, a lot of us have probably had this or had vaccines against it, but it causes an itchy, itchy, blistering skin rash and a mild fever. So this helps to protect against that. And then we'll also have another diphtheria, tetanus and pertussis or that whooping cough booster as well. So then we get to four years. So there's a nice little break for children. And I've personally found this four-year-old <laughs> age the hardest because you're actually trying to persuade your children that they're going to have a needle. Um, and, and you know, at this stage, they're usually verbally able to um, rebut against why that's not a good idea. So at four years of age, age there'll be a combination of the diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis and polio um, injection. And that will help to cover um, our children against some of the most deadly um, but preventable infections that we see, particularly in childhood. And a lot of this will actually protect us well into adulthood. We'll often need boosters for some of these particular infections, but it does give our children a really, really good start. Indispensable Advice five indispensable tips I would provide um, is make sure you write down when your child needs their, their vaccination. So there's actually some apps, one called Save the Date to Vaccinate app, and it's free. You can get that on in any good app store. Um, but you can actually add your children in at their dates of birth and you'll get reminders about when their vaccines are due. Um, If you have the vaccines done in a community centre or your GP, they'll generally also follow up with you and call you and, and remind you about when your children need to be vaccinated. But knowing when that needs to happen is really important so that you don't miss anything. Um, if you want to know more, so number two, if you want to know more about vaccinations and what's involved, there's a, a few places to go. But initially, I'd also say that you can go to something called the Australian Immunisation Handbook, which is also now available as a free app. So jump on there, you can look them up, you can actually look at each of the different diseases and also the vaccinations and what's included, in, including additional um, components in the vaccine that you may be concerned about, and hopefully it will help to reassure you. Number three is have something to distract your child wherever you can. Um, so having a toy, having some food ready, being able to get up and move straight after the vaccination is all important and helps to reassure children that they are safe um, and that that you know you're you're doing the best for them that you can. Uh, Number four, another few good places to go just for um, other information, some little short videos. There's a website called Sharing Knowledge About Immunisation or SKAI. So the website is www.talkingaboutimmunisation.org.au. Great place to go and find some information. And also the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance. So www.ncirs.org.au. Um, these uh, have little videos, have a bit more information so that you can reassure yourself about immunisation. And then finally, um, reassuring your child, holding them in a really secure position when they're having immunisation will help to prevent them getting stressed out and you getting stressed out because you get to cuddle them, you get to comfort them. and. That's really important, particularly as we're trying to teach our children about health professionals and how how we help them. We're there to help, we're not there to hurt. And unfortunately, I even found that with my children is you know, they started to say, I don't want to go to the doctor because they hurt me. <laughs> and so we kind of had a conversation about you know what why why that was happening and it wasn't intended to hurt, but they obviously they have the autonomy, the ability to say no to things, and I think that's really important to tell children but we want them to be educated and and make an educated decision. And I think really all the evidence at this stage is saying that vaccination is important. There's no reason in most cases not to have them. Um, And it's really important to educate yourself um, in a way that um, is evidence-based and is not based on a blog from a celebrity or a tweet. (laughs) Okay, really, really important. The Indispensable contains general medicine and health advice and is not intended to be a substitute for professional, individual medical advice. We endeavour to ensure it is accurate and up-to-date, however we can't guarantee that it will always apply to you. Always seek the guidance of your pharmacist or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or a medical condition. This episode is brought to you by me, the Indispensable Pharmacist. Don't forget to subscribe to Indispensable and leave a review so we can help more people. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for Farm Online. That's P-H-A-R-M online. I'd love to hear your suggestions for the next topic to be covered on Indispensable.